Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by actor Jimmy Hunt to talk about his role in the sci-fi classic Invaders from Mars. In the early 1950s, Cold War tensions and the burgeoning space race created a heady mix of paranoia and unbridled creativity as filmmakers speculated as to the marvels and horrors that lay beyond the stars. Among those leading the charge, William Cameron Menzies, Invaders from Mars terrified audiences upon its release in 1953, with its chilling vision of an insidious alien attack on a small town Americana. On a dark and stormy night, a young boy, David McLean, played by my guest today, Jimmy Hunt, observes what appears to be a flying saucer crash landing in his town. Shortly thereafter, the grown-ups, including his own parents, begin acting decidedly strangely. Convinced there's a link between this epidemic of bizarre behavior and what he witnessed that night, David turns to local health official Dr. Blake for help. But can these two unlikely heroes, together with famed astronomer Dr. Kelston, withstand a might of a full-blown invasion from outer space? This is a landmark film in sci-fi cinema. Invaders from Mars inspired filmmakers as wide-ranging as Don Cascarelli, who is best known for the Phantasm films, Brad Bird, who did um, The Iron Giant, as well as, um, I think the f- most recent, was it, he did, did he do one of the Mission Impossible films? I feel like he did Mission Impossible 4. I could be wrong on that. I'll, I'll double check that. And John Carpenter, who's known for The Thing and Escape from New York. Now fully restored for its 70th anniversary, this trend-setting Atomic Age classic unleashes its spine-tingling terror on a whole new generation of filmgoers in this brand new 4K presentation from Ignite Films. And this isn't a cynical kind of cash grab re-release of something where you pick up the 4K edition of it and it looks exactly like the Blu-ray. This is something truly special. I really feel like this restoration is probably the best this film has ever looked. I think it probably looks better today than it did on the day that it was released. This thing is really incredible. If you're even a passive fan of this film, I highly recommend you check out this 4K edition of it. Um, Not just for the color grading on it, which is really impressive, but just the way you're able to truly appreciate some of the set design here and some of the technical work that was in this movie that it's 70 years old. It's amazing how wonderful this film looks so um hope you enjoy this interview with jimmy i had a great time chatting with him and had a great time checking out this disc so definitely uh, make sure you check it out it's available in stores now hope you enjoy the show no worries no worries thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it i had a chance to uh the film last night again I, i feel like uh this movie's been with me my whole life now. It's uh, I, I'm 46 years old, and I, the remake that you were a part of had a very big impact on my life when I was about 10 years old. And then I, when I saw that, I didn't actually know that you were in the original as well. I had I had no clue until several years down the road when I discovered that film, and I've been in love with it for God 30 plus years now. Great, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, it's been you've been with this film for so long. Um, what's that like to have this movie is just so identified because this is something that you did when you were a very very young man, and to have to get you carry the weight of this film as a, you know as a child actor. And I think you did a remarkable job, but I couldn't imagine you possibly thought you'd be talking about this film uh, in 2020 when you were making this thing in 2022. 
I uh, didn't know that I'd still be alive in 2022. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's kind of funny because I made 42 movies and the, and Invaders from Mars was not my favorite movie only because of the fact that my favorite movie was a Western with Joel McRae called Lone Hand. And I got to ride horses and drive it team of horses and do those kind of things. So, yeah, I, I thought that was my best movie. But Invaders from Mars is that movie that never goes away. It just hangs in there and hangs in there. And, you know, I get fan mail from around the world, and it's all about Invaders from Mars. And so that movie has... Uh, I. I, it's it's just part of my legacy now. I can't get rid of it. <laughs> and what do you think adds to the longevity of the film? Why do people revisit this generation after generation? I think because I made the movie, it didn't frighten me. Okay, but other kids, you know, they people have walked up to me, you know, all these years later and said, you know, I can't even... It took me about six months that I could even go by, you know, a sand pit anywhere or go to the beach because I was afraid I was going to get sucked down to the sand. And so, uh, yeah, it, it was one of those things that it it wasn't as scary as it was. I think it was the psychological thing that it here it was. This poor little kid is trying to tell the world and his neighborhood, his community that. There's invaders from Mars out there and nobody believes him. And then his parents get, you know, abducted and sucked down. And now, you know, it, that was his whole world and now they're gone. And, and so nobody at all believes him. And he's, you know, running around trying to tell people about it. And I think little kids can visualize that a little bit. Plus the fact that when they made the movie, and this is something that I when I first came on the set, didn't realize was the fact that uh, as you look at the uh, the sand pit and the hill behind the house, you look at the trees and they're all black mm -hmm. and there's no leaves. Okay, no leaves, just a, a stark tree. And, and the same thing with, uh, you look at like when he runs into the police station. Yes. He's running down that hallway and you look at behind him and there's these huge doors that he had to come through. And then he's coming up to the sergeant who's on this desk that's way up above him looking down. So it's it's sort of like the perspective of, of seeing this whole thing through a child's eyes. And so now kids start to relate to that. And then they start to relate to the fact that what would happen if their parents got sucked down? And what would they do? And then, of course, how the movie ends at the end where, you know, you still don't know if it, if it was it a dream or did they come back and all of a sudden he looks out the window again at the end and here comes the spaceship down yeah. again. You know, so, yeah, I, uh, it had a lasting memory on a lot of kids. And I never realized uh, how much, I mean, all over the world. I have, you know, people from Germany and France and, and everywhere, you know, they, they write to me and they, they say that just touched them, you know. 
there's not many films like this that you can see when you're 10, 12 years old that'll scare you. And then you can revisit five, six, seven years, 20 years later, even. And some of the more, um, the deeper themes of the movie with it being kind of an anti-war piece with the idea that we, we kind of started this uh, by shoot, we were shooting missiles randomly at Mars for no, no apparent reason. And they, they took offense to that rightfully so, you know, and there's, there's these, you don't pick up on that stuff as a kid. And I feel like there's all these elements in the, the idea that there's a child that's not being listened to. And it's kind of this, uh, the way that he's handling authority and um, it's, there's definitely more going on than the surface level scares in this film. And I think that it's something that you can reevaluate and revisit and, you know, like all good art, you find new things in it every time you visit it. Right. Oh yeah. And I still, to this day, I see things that, uh, it it brings back memories. Uh, you know, one of my old time friends, uh, you know, he, he said, you know, Jim, he says, you know, that in that movie, you know, you said Colonel Fielding 21 times. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I said, who's counting, right? You know, but, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the, that and the, the, all, the infamous gee whiz. Those are the two big lines in that movie. <laughs> uh, and then it's, it's also, it's something that this particular version of it, I've never seen it look so good as it does now. Um, and I would imagine, and I, cause every time I've seen this film, it's been kind of a grainy, uh, version of it on a VHS tape. And I don't think it's probably looked this good and been treated with these kind of, with this much care since the initial release. It looks better now than it did even the original, you know, and it's, it's, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it a couple of times now and it's, uh, it's really, they did a fantastic job of, of the restoration of it. And, uh, yeah, it looks great. It does. And is this something where the, the 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 color palette of this movie, I think, is something that all how vibrant and bright and alive, and it's it's always been something that I recognized as slightly off center from reality, and it's a little bit impressionistic in a way where it feels like even it feels like it's almost like a dream state state the whole time. So to me, this film does feel like a dream. In your mind, do you see this as a dream? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Because yeah, that was one of the things that uh, when I went on the on the on the stage, uh, you know, there to make the movie, uh, I looked in, and you see the the the, uh, the spaceship, and you look at it, and it's you know it's. There's, you know, there's no instruments. You don't get to see, there's no instrument panel. There's nothing. All you see is, you know, that one big post pillar coming down and uh, it goes into a hole in the ground. And you wonder, you know, where did that go? You know, and and then there's this this little stairway that goes out around the perimeter of the spaceship. And, but like I said, there's no, so it's almost like a dream where you, you can't really, I mean, there's no details. It's it's yeah. just yeah, and 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 and, it, and they did a great job of that. I mean, they, they really did. And uh, I mean, the whole the whole thing. You know, we we did that uh, movie in three and a half weeks. Oh, my, that's it. That's it. Yes. <laughs> and that's I think that's one of the reasons that I started to look at maybe I didn't want to do movies anymore because it was a couple. Of, uh, no, let's see. That was in '53. 
So, it, well, in, in 52, 53, because right? it was released in 53. So in 54, I retired. And because uh, I wanted to play sports in high school and I couldn't do that and make movies. Because I'd be there on the practice field and my mother would come and say, we've got to go for an interview. Oh, come on. <laughs> do that to me. So yeah, it was it was time to it was it was definitely time to give it up. Uh, and I like I told somebody, I said, it's always nice. I said I was at that time. I think I was probably the number one rated child male male child star in, in Hollywood. And it was time. It was perfect to get out at that point because you know after that, as you start to mature and and get older. You know, all of a sudden now you're the pimply faced little kid that can't get a job anywhere, right? So yeah. it was per- it was perfect, and uh, and my life was perfect after that too. So, did you ever have the interest of going? I mean, you went back and worked with Toby Hooper, which was I mean, he's one of my personal heroes. I've uh, but loved I love all of his work. I think he's just one of those people had just an incredible body of work that he put together. But did that scratch that itch or think that maybe you would want to go back and do it again? Uh, the only time that I ever had any kind of inkling thought of, of doing that was uh, in 1957 when um, when the 57 Corvettes came out. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I was, they weren't cheap. <laughs> no, no, at that time, they were like $3,000, you know. And so, you know, now you get, you'd pay like, what, $100,000? To over a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So at that time, I mean, you know, I, and that was saying, gee, if I hadn't stayed in movies, maybe I could have afforded that, you know. Uh, but you know, no, no, I didn't. Um, it was, it was time. It was time for me to do it. Yeah. And was there a point where people stopped recognizing you from the film, or do people still come up to you to this day and they recognize you and know you from the movie? When I when I was in my business career, I when I I, I was uh, just just to fill you in a little bit of a background. Sure, uh, yeah, please. At fourteen, you know, I went into high school, and you're familiar with the Happy Days uh, deal. Well, that sure. was my life. That was my life. I mean, I, I was I was Richie Cunningham. I mean, I was just you know, life was good. Hot rods, girls, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, sports. And played football and some baseball and and uh, but then I, at 20 years old I uh, went into the service and uh, went into the army and went was stationed in Germany and uh, married uh, married a, a young lady that I met there and brought her home and uh, and this uh, this January it will be. 60 years that we've been married. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. So it's, 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 it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> At least on my end, I hope Jesus feels the same. No, he does. But, uh, and we have a great family, three kids and uh, nine grandkids and six great grandkids. So things That's are a good life. Out. Yeah. And then I got into, I got into, I, I was into engineering, but I got into sales somehow. And somebody said, I think you'd really make it, you do good in sales. So I went out and 
what happened to me at that point was the fact that you were talking about people recognizing you. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'm out talking on people, and somebody'd say, "I think I, I know you from someplace, right?" And I would go, "Oh, I would, I was, I was rotten." I'd say, "Oh, well, what high school did you go to?" And now I'm in, I'm down in Texas, right? I mean, I was a California boy, right? I know I didn't go to high school with that guy, but anyway, I was playing with him. And so we go through it. Finally, it, way at the end of this whole thing, I'd say, did you ever watch movies when you were a kid? And he, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, did you ever see? And then... Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I went straight over to the Blu-ray section, specifically to the 4K Blu-ray section. And within just a few seconds, I came across one of my favorite films of all time, uh, Real Genius. Now, Real Genius is one of those movies that I purchased on Blu-ray, DVD, Laserdisc, and VHS. It's probably the comedy that I've owned more than any other comedy I think the only other films that I've owned on more formats or more copies of are probably Alien and Terminator 2. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely up there. It's one of my favorite films. I saw it for the first time when I was in third grade, and it's one of those movies I go back to once every couple years, maybe once a year, and I always find something new in it. It's one of those films that's grown with me, or it's stayed the same, but I've grown with the film, and I just pick up on new things every time. I, I sit down to watch it, and I think that has a lot to do with Martha Coolidge. She's the director of the film, and she managed to make this really smart film um, in a time when most comedies were very broad, especially college comedies. Um, they were, for lack of a better word, they were pretty stupid, a lot of these films. And some of these films I do really love, but Real Genius is just, it's not that. It's not, it, it has broad humor in it. But it also has something to say, and it has something to say about the college experience, about what it means to grow up and coming of age, and it's just an incredible little film. It has a ton of heart in it. If you haven't seen it, it's one of my favorite Val Kilmer performances as well, so definitely recommend checking out Real Genius if you haven't seen it before. I'd also recommend going to Bookman's if you've never been there before. There's six locations in Arizona. Uh, three of them are here in Tucson. And at the Northwest location uh, in Tucson, I will be hosting a true crime trivia night on October 21st. So I hope you can make it down for that and hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. And, you know, Invaders from Mars. You know, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. Yeah, yeah. So it worked out. And I did get some orders through that, too. <laughs> doesn't hurt, does it? Doesn't hurt, no. No. And I got to fulfill my lifelong uh, dream of uh, working. I, I, at the end of you know, the last 25, 30, only 30 years, I called on the aerospace firms in Southern California. Wonderful. I was with, the, you know, we were there for the space shuttle and the SR-71 and the U-2 and all that kind of stuff. And so I got the, it, it was fun. I mean, it was, it got to be fun. And so, yeah, it worked out. Well, you know, you think about um, moving away from acting and show business and that um, what could be more fun than that. And then you talk about you're playing around with SR-71s and that, that sounds okay to me. So I can oh. see that being a pretty fulfilling uh, career path. That, that SR-71 is, that was a thrill for me because I got to be there on the landing strip well, actually, on the runway when one took off, 
What does that sound like? It, I tell you, you as they start, as they, they're, they're sitting there and they're filling the thing up with, with fuel and they can't fill it all the way up. It has to go out and be refueled at once it's up in the air. Be, uh, because what happens is that the, the, uh, the plates, the out, out, outward plates on the plane are pretty loose because it, it reaches such high speeds, starts. it starts to expand, right? Yeah. So anyway, so this it looks like you know they're they're putting they're putting the fuel in and it's leaking out onto the runway, you know. So they finally get this thing and they have this chase plane that comes around. It's a you know a jet fighter. He comes around and he comes swinging down towards the runway. And this guy starts to fire it up and he's running down. He's he's rolling down the the, the runway and all of a sudden, man, he hits it. And it's just that thrust and it just. Takes your, it takes your breath away. Yeah. You, you can't breathe. I mean, it just, and then it just, there it goes. Boom, and he goes up and here comes, a, here comes a chase plane and they're coming down and the chase plane is coming and coming and they go up together. And then it's like the guy in the chase plane put his brakes on because the guy in the SR-71 hits it. Yeah. And boom, he's gone. gone. He's gone. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, I don't know. And I know the guy didn't get out to look to see if he had a flat tire or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it was that experience. And so it was so much fun to be part of that, you know. That's amazing. That's so great. And that's, there's moments in life, where I think that um, for me personally, where I have, where I come, almost have to pinch myself to say, am I actually here? Is this my life? And there's those moments where you kind of look up. And I would imagine that has to be one of those ones that just has to be, almost out of body experience when you're witnessing something like that. Well, I see that you're kind of a, I don't know if that's a calendar back there, but there's a, yeah, that, that's actually an award that I got uh, for I, in sales also. And I was working with the air force and they gave that to me um, the here there, it's a radio plane and they gave that to me as an award for helping them out. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. That's, that's, that's neat. You know, because when I was in the service on my, uh, I was in the Army Security Agency, and uh, what we did is we intercepted and broke code. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's that's what those guys are doing. Yeah. AY there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I'm like, well, yeah, one of those. Okay. Yeah. We they what they did there, we did on the ground. And I, I could go grab my challenge coin. It's in the uh, in the other room right now that they uh, they gave to me. I'm supposed to carry that anytime I leave. So apparently. No, it, it is so. Uh, it, it, yeah, you know, it's like I said, I. Life has been very good to little Jimmy Hunt. Uh, and, yeah, you know. it, it, it's um, it, it's interesting. It's never the path that we expect to f- end up on, but the people that I'm always most interested in are the people that kind of just followed opportunity and found their way through. It wasn't just this stringent path that they had different careers and moved around and found, they kind of followed their whim at a moment's notice and they saw different paths that they could take and they took one just because it seemed interesting at the moment. You know, you meet somebody that was so a, a longshore fisherman in, in Alaska for a couple months, and when you start to, those are the people that fascinate me. You know, it's it's true, and it's it's sort of like you know, I, you know, you start out like when you and I were both going to school. I'm sure they they would give you these tests to see you know what your aptitude. Sure. Was. Yeah. And and I wanted to be an engineer so badly, and and so you could fill out the forms. And you could you could actually make sure that you became it came yeah yeah he's going to be an engineer, 
and it didn't turn out that way. It turned out better in a way, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I know it's and it's it was one of the things. My whole life has been one of those. I can't say my whole life, but getting into the movies and things like that that happened to me. Uh, my we were never a movie family at all. You know, I was my, wondering about because you got started so young. Yeah, my parents they they did nothing. They didn't know anything about movies at all. But the only difference is the fact that we lived six blocks from MGM. There it is. Okay. Okay. And I was going to grammar school and they needed somebody to play the part of Van Johnson as a young boy. And they looked through Hollywood and they didn't find anybody. So they went out and that school was right there. So they came to the school and they picked a couple of us and they took us for, uh, we had uh, a screen test and I guess I did okay because I got the part. And uh, from there, I just, you know, I just went from no, you know, no experience at all. I mean, I couldn't sing. I couldn't dance. Uh, I, you know, and I never had any acting lessons. And so people, you know, that they would have given their left arm to do what I did. And even more probably, but I, you know, and there I was, I, you know, I just was at the right place at the right time. I mean, it- you're it's it's crazy when you think about it though because you're in this film invaders from mars and you're carrying the whole film no formal training just kind of figuring it out as you go along you're a young kid working with people that are trained professional consummate actors people that went on to have very long storied careers yeah you're there carrying the whole thing though that that's yes i mean and i never realized like uh the fact that I, you know, I did a, I did a decent job of, you know, my job as an actor, and and it worked out okay, you know, but I never th- saw it as I was an actor. All I saw was the fact that I went I went to work, and it was almost like I took my little lunch pail and I went to work and I did whatever they told me to do, and I came home at night and memorized my lines, and got ready for the next day. That's it. That was it. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody said, you know, and if there was a cry scene, I had to cry. Uh, I, uh, I would make up a story of the fact that, you know, there was something sad that happened in my life. And, and I'd kind of play that in my mind. And pretty soon, you know, you get yourself psyched up a little bit and you start to cry. And so that's how you did those things. I mean, it's, it's just, it's really impressive. And it's, it's one of those things where it's often the times where you can see people that have that kind of training. There's other people that can just do it for whatever reason. I, I was somebody who I tried to learn how to be an actor and I'm so bad at it. So I'm a horrible, horrible actor. I have no business being on a stage. I have no business being in front of a camera. It's just, it's not what my calling was. Um, It's, it's always very wooden when I do it, but it's, I'm always impressed by people that can just figure that out and walk. I'm very impressed by people that are on the stage, Broadway and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are very impressive because uh, I mean, I, I feel sort of almost uh, out of place if I had to go up and do something on a stage. I mean, it's not that I know that you can 
in a movie, you can, you know, you can re retake it, you know, re redo it. That's not the thing. It's just, I don't know, it's just being up there and having to do the whole thing at one time, at one shot, uh, you know. So, no, I, it was, the movies were good for me. <laughs> hey, when you're doing, a, when a, you're doing a play, it was always kind of the short runs. Uh, you could try it again tomorrow. You got to experiment and play with it in front of people and get that real time reaction to it, which is always really fun for me. But what the real training for me, though, that I got out of that was that I got comfortable failing in front of people. And that's how I ended up in sales, that I was just able to talk in front of people. And it will never be no sales presentation is as scary as flubbing lines. So in front of 20 people who paid to see something. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm totally comfortable in that world now. And, and oh, I yeah. have acting to thank for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, uh, like I said, it was uh, it was an experience that I didn't choose to have, but it happened. And then what makes you keep coming back? Like you're involved pretty heavily in the, you're doing, this, you're doing interviews, you're doing press, you're involved in this uh, restoration process and um, helping out with that. What, what makes you keep saying yes to come back to it? It's, it's still fun. I mean, you know, <laughs> when, uh, where else can, uh, can you go and, and talk about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> And people, and people will listen, you know, people will listen. So, I, I don't know. It's still fun. It, it's something that, uh, I don't know, my, uh, my granddaughter is uh, Haley, I think, you, and you've had contact with Haley. Yes. Uh, she's, um, she's graduated from college and uh, in marketing. And, and uh, so she uh, wants to be a celebrity. I mean, when she was a little girl, she would always say, you know, we'd say, what do you want to be, Haley? I want to be a celebrity. And uh, hey, she, I think she's going to make it. I think she really is going to make it. One side of the camera or the other, uh, she's going to make it. Well, I mean, it, it's a, uh, it, it, I guess it um, if you define the, the scope of fame that you're aiming for, um, you know, if you want to be a celebrity in a certain arena, then you can do it with the right reasons. If you have a, that focus of, I want to be a celebrity for a very, I want to, me personally, I want to be a celebrity in my house. I want to be the person that people actually like uh, as far as I want to be a good husband and I want to be a good dad. Beyond that, I don't think I'm cut out for fame. I don't, I'm not cut out for people knowing who I am at all. So, so I've, and I've been lucky that way because I didn't have to worry about the fame. You know, it just happened. And, and I, true. I can't say that it was fame. I just said, you know, hey, I, I had a, a a little career and it and it worked out okay, and and I didn't screw it up too badly. So you know, no, you you got out, you got out when the getting out was good. You have an incredible career. You had some great films, and and I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, Jimmy. It was a pleasure to meet you. Um, love the film. Loved speaking with you. So. Um, Best of luck, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really do appreciate yeah, it. Keep in touch. You know, I will. I will absolutely. You got Haley's number, so yeah. I will. I will. Thank you so much, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope. 
always crack.